stop. Look around. What do you see? Confusion or clarity? Despair or hope? Darkness or light? Chaos or peace? Pain or joy? Defeat or victory? Evil or goodness? Death or life? There is a world of sights and sounds determined to distort reality. It shows us war, sickness, unrest. And yet, here you are, drawing breath, bones molded by the hands of the Creator, a heart of emotions burning for truth, a spirit in the likeness of the artist, the artist that paints the skies with stars and speaks every living thing into existence. And here you are. Not to be overcome by fears and lies, but to surrender to his divine reality. See, the day has come. The night is over. Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So what are you living for? What are you living for or who are you living for? I hope by the end of this message that you'll be able to say that I'm living my life in the light of Jesus Christ. The world is full of darkness and Jesus has the resurrection power to rescue us from this darkness and to give us the light that leads to life. Today we are continuing our message series on who Jesus is. Who do you say I am? This is the question that Jesus asked his disciples in Luke chapter 9, verse 20. And it's the most important question that you and I will ever answer in all of our lives. Because it's impossible to be wrong about Jesus and to be right with God. Our answer will determine the direction and ultimate destination of our lives. So to help us answer this question, we've been studying the seven I am statements of Jesus in the book of John that point to who he is. Now, last week we explored Jesus's fourth I am statement. I am the good shepherd. What makes him the good shepherd is that he loved you and I so much that he laid down his life for his sheep. He said in John chapter 10 verses 14 through 15 that I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. The words just as in verse 15 are absolutely critical because this explains how special and how intimate the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd are. Our relationship with Jesus, us being his sheep and him being our shepherd, And how we know each other is just as special and intimate as the relationship he and the Lord God of heaven and earth share. Now, to say it another way, our relationship with Jesus should be just like the relationship that he has with his Father. 
And to have this kind of relationship, we need to take Jesus' words in John chapter 10, verse 27 to heart. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So to have the kind of relationship that he is seeking with us to have, we need to hear his voice. We need to know him personally and we need to follow him completely. Scripture records that Jesus is not only the good shepherd, he is the great shepherd and he is also the chief shepherd. But the real question from last week's message is this. Is he your shepherd? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the great I am. We thank you that we have the opportunity to sit here and hear your voice. Teach us who you are so that we can go out into the world and profess your truth. So I pray today, Lord, that you turn hearts to you today. Speak your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in John chapter 11, we read about the seventh and final sign that Jesus did before he went to the cross. It was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. This sign is the most spectacular of all the signs in the book of John. This sign is the grand finale of Jesus' public ministry. And it was this sign that put an explanation point on the plot of the Jews to kill Jesus. The story of this sign, it picks up in chapter 11 of the book of John. And Lazarus, he became very sick. He had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they sent a message to Jesus that simply said this. It said, Lord, the one you love is sick. They didn't even need to mention their brother's name. This tells us just how close and how special of a relationship Jesus had with Lazarus. Now, when Jesus gets this message, he says this in verse 4. He says, This sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, I'm going to come back to this, but for now I'm going to keep going so that we can get to our main text for today. We're just doing a nice, easy flyover of the first part of chapter 11. So don't worry, we're going to come back, David, and we're going to land. (coughs) David's a pilot, in case you guys don't know. We're going to come back, we're going to land, and we're going to camp on this here in a bit. Verses 5 and 6 at first glance are very puzzling to me because they tell us that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But when he heard the news, he stayed two more days where he was. Now, you would naturally think after hearing news like that that he would immediately go to the friend he loves. But he doesn't. Oh, I can't wait to come back to that point too. So many good questions to answer right there. So finally, Jesus arrives on the scene, and Lazarus has already died. In fact, he's been dead now for four days. And as soon as Martha hears that Jesus is coming, she goes out to meet him. And so now now let's turn to our Bibles in John chapter 11, beginning in verse 21, so that we can see how Jesus reveals his fifth I am statement. You don't have a Bible with you? We've got some here up on the table that you're welcome to borrow during service. You can follow along up on the screen. You can follow along on your mobile device. Just follow along. In verse 21, it says, Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from him, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. 
Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Now, this I am statement is incredibly significant. Jesus is not saying that he has power to resurrect people or the power to give life. While both of those statements are true, what Jesus is really saying is, I don't just have the power to give life. I am the power. I am the resurrection and life. That's what he's saying. You see, Martha and her sister Mary both were seeing the resurrection as an event, something that would happen in the future. That was their understanding. But the resurrection is not an event. It's a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. He is the resurrection, and he is the life. Apart from him, there is no resurrection from the dead, and there is no life. Jesus is the basis for eternal life. That's why he says, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. You've got your hand out. That's your first two blanks there. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And notice that lives and believes in me is in the present tense. Living and believing in him is not as much about the future as it's about right here and right now. So many people are just waiting for heaven. Or they're just waiting for an escape from this world to get to heaven. Listen, our lives were not meant for waiting. They were meant for living. Eternal life is right now. It's not some distant point in the future. Jesus said in John 17, 3, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. He said, this is eternal life. He didn't say, this will be eternal life, or you will have eternal life once this happens. No, eternal life is right now. We need to stop waiting and start living for Jesus now. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is the power. He is our power source. Are you plugged into him today? When we're plugged into him as our power source, we have that power. The very same power that raised Lazarus from the dead, we've got that. It's also the same power that Jesus used to raise himself from the dead. If you are a Jesus follower, then it's this same power that lives in you. It's what saves you from spiritual death and gives you eternal life right now. So then an obvious question is this. Why do so many self-professing Christians live like they're dead? Their lives don't really look much different than the rest of the world. They talk like the world. They act like the world. They watch and listen to things just like the world. They worry like the world, complain like the world, gossip like the world, fear like the world, hold grudges like the world, are selfish like the world. They engage in immoral activity just like the world. And they will say one thing while they do another, just like the world. John the Baptist didn't hold back when he encountered the hypocritical and prideful Pharisees and Sadducees of his day. These were the ones who professed faith in God, but were really just what Jesus called them, whitewashed tombs. 
having the appearance of being clean on the outside, but they were really full of dead man's bones on the inside. You and I can do this very same thing. We can put on this fake veneer, this fake Christianity, where we give this appearance of being one way, while in reality we're not living for Jesus, we're actually dying for the world. So John doesn't pull any punches here. He first calls the Pharisees and Sadducees a brood of snakes. This is an incredibly powerful indictment. Jesus would later call them the very same thing. And calling them a brood of snakes was like calling them sons of Satan. That's how serious the charge against them was. And right after that, John says this in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. He says, Prove by the way you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Prove by the way that you live. Is how we are living proving or denying who Jesus is? That's the question. Is he our resurrection in life? Now, in case you're here today and you recognize that you're not living the right kind of life, you're living a life that ultimately is leading to death, then I want to tell you something. You came to the right place. Jesus longs for you to let go of the old life that leads only to death and grab hold of his new life. Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Don't be deceived by the enemy who will just pile lie upon lie about you not being good enough and that God would never accept you. You see, his lies are often full of some truth, but it's never the whole truth. And the truth is, you're not good enough, and neither am I. And I'm going to tell you why in just a minute. But first, I want you to know this. If you come to him, he will accept you. Satan will say you're not good enough, and he's right. But to say God won't accept you is a lie. So there's the truth mixed with a lie, which is often how Satan operates. Jesus calls him the father of lies because there is no truth in him. He is a deceiver. So we've got to stop listening to him and start listening to the truth. Because if you believe in Jesus, he will accept you. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 37, that the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. So come to him. He will accept you. That is the truth. But don't believe the lie that you have to be good enough in order to come to him. The truth is, you're not good enough and neither am I. No one is good enough. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, that there is no one righteous, not even one. And in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, none of us can ever measure up to being good enough. Recognizing this truth is the first step to a real life from a real God who really loves you. You don't have to be good enough to come to Him. And you don't have to clean up your life before coming to Him either. To believe that is a lie from the enemy. You see, the enemy wants you to always put off what you can and should do today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is. Don't put this off. And if you're feeling convicted and you want to repent, you want to turn away from your sins today and turn to Jesus, I'm going to give some time at the end of this message to do just that. 
Just preparing you, okay? Don't put this off. God does not want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to repent and to turn to Him. To do this, you have to have a change of mind. You've got to have a change of direction. That's all repentance is. Changing your mind and deciding to turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. It's turning from death to life. And you simply come to Him based on the faith, your faith, of who He is and what He's done. You don't come to Him on the basis of anything else. For it is by grace that you are saved through your faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not from any works that you do or you have done, as if you could brag about it. It's Jesus plus nothing, and it's Jesus minus nothing. It's just Jesus. Jesus alone is what saves you. Who is Jesus? He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's the Son of God. He is the promised Messiah who takes away the sins of the world. He willingly and humbly laid down His life for you and for me. And He paid the penalty for our sins. He did that on the cross. And because He is the resurrection and the life, three days after His death, He rose from the dead, proving exactly what He said about Himself. He proved by the way that He lived that he is the resurrection and the life. So you come to him as you are, but he never wants you to stay as you are because genuine faith always results in a changed life. Now listen to me. We don't change our lives in order to be saved. When we're saved, that's what changes our lives. It's the power of God. It's the resurrection power inside of us. That's what changes us. Jesus is our power source in this life. Are you plugged into him today? We need to live in the power that he gives, not like we're still dead. Now, if we circle back to our text for today, when Martha finally sees Jesus after four days of her brother Lazarus being dead, she says this, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. This is a very interesting statement because in effect, What's going on here is she is limiting Jesus to only what she can understand. She's saying that Jesus had to be present. He needed to be there in order to save her brother. That's what she could understand. That's what she could explain. You and I do this all the time. We put God in a box and then limit him by what we can understand or what we can rationalize about him. I knew a guy many years ago who went through a very, very difficult divorce. And I remember him quoting to me over and over and over again, God hates divorce. God hates divorce. He hates divorce. He just hates it. Over and over he'd say that to me. He kept saying, why did God let this happen? Why did God let this happen? He hates divorce. I don't get it. He just couldn't get past what he couldn't explain. I've seen people do the very same thing when they're suffering from an illness or they have a loved one who's suffering from an illness. Surely God will heal. Surely he will heal. And then it doesn't happen. Or it doesn't happen how or when we want it to. Now, I've experienced this myself of putting God in a box. There was a time when my wife and I were very, very close to adopting this precious little girl. She was four years old. Her name was Ivy. This happened to us while we were in Florida. We even had her in our house for a bit. She was part of the family. 
And I prayed like I've never prayed before for God to give us that little girl, that she would become my daughter. And yet it never happened. And what did happen to that little girl still to this day doesn't make any sense to me. I can't explain it. It's beyond my understanding. And I'm still learning that it's not about my understanding. It's all about trusting in my heavenly father. He knows what's best and his timing is perfect. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We often wrestle with asking why God, how God, and when God. And when the answer to these questions doesn't come or comes in a way that we don't expect or that we want, we struggle to understand. The truth is, God cannot be contained. God cannot be limited. We cannot put him in a box. He cannot be fully explained by any human who has ever lived or will ever live on this earth. God stands outside of time. And he stands outside the realm of our own understanding. It's why the word of God says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, that we are to trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding. Trying to lean on our own understanding will often just get us frustrated, depressed, worried, or fearful. That's what happens. All of these are the opposite of what God wants for our lives. So what do we do about this? What do we do? We don't lean on our understanding. We lean on the truth of the word of God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 says this. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, other translations would use the word infinitely above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and amen. God can do exceedingly, abundantly, infinitely more than we can ever ask or think. You know why? Because he is able. He is able. He is always able. Nothing can limit God, and nothing is impossible for him either. That's what our faith should reflect right there. He is the resurrection and life. Nothing can limit him. The Pharisees couldn't comprehend him. Satan couldn't stop him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Nothing is impossible for the king of glory. Where's Mark? The hope of glory. (laughs) Threw that in there for you, brother. (laughs) Now, the story that stands out to me the most in the Bible that best illustrates the kind of faith that we are to have is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of you are familiar with this story. There were three Hebrew teenage boys that had their faith put through the fire, literally. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon issued a decree that everyone in the land had to bow down to this 90-foot statue and worship it. Every time they heard this music being played, that's what needed to happen. And anyone who would refuse to do that would be thrown into a burning fire, a furnace. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to obey. And it's what they said to the king that I want us to focus on for a minute. They said this in Daniel chapter 2, verses 17 through 18. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, but even if he doesn't. We want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you've set up. 
God is always able. The real question is, do you believe that? Do we limit him like Martha did based on what we understand or what we can explain? Do we limit him by seeking our own will versus seeking his will? That's why I love this passage. God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't do what we long for him to do, even if we can't explain it, even if we have to keep waiting, no matter what happens, we will serve the Lord. That should be our heart's cry. Because that is the kind of faith that God is seeking in all of us. Now, one thing we need to realize is that God's glory will always trump everything else. He will get the glory because he deserves the glory. Now, you may remember during our flyover, at the beginning of this message, I said that I'd come back around and that I would land. We're coming in. We're on approach, David. We're coming in now. Here we go. We're going to land. We're going to dive into this a bit deeper. And understand while Jesus didn't do what Mary and Martha expected him to do. They sent a letter. They sent a letter to the Lord that said, hey, the one you love is sick. And then we read that after Jesus received this message, he stayed where he was for two more days. Why in the world, if you had the power to save the one you love, would you delay your coming? Can you imagine how you would have felt if you were Mary or Martha? And this was your brother? You share this deep relationship with Jesus. You've broke bread with him in your home. You've hung out with him. He's your friend. And you know that he loves you. But when you send a note for his help, he doesn't show up. In fact, he doesn't show up until four days after your brother died. I don't know about you, but I might be a little angry. I might be a little bit ticked off. And I certainly would be disappointed I may be questioning just what kind of relationship do we really have. I'm just being real with you guys. Come on, you know you'd feel that. But Jesus tells us exactly why he delayed. In John chapter 11, verse 4, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. It's always about the glory of God. One thing we must always remember with any delay is that God will get the glory. You can count on it. There may be several reasons why God delays, but you can be sure that one of the main drivers behind why this happens is for the glory of God. Jesus didn't show up on the scene until four days after Lazarus had died. Now, that four days is significant. In Jewish tradition, they believed that a person's spirit would hover over the body for three days. And so with this belief, there was some kind of hope that the person could be revived and come back to life. But after three days, there was no more hope. A person would be absolutely dead forever. This helps explain why Jesus waited till the fourth day to come. Because there'd be no explanation. There'd be no way to hide his glory. When there was no hope, when there was no way, when there was no possibility, guess what? Then he showed up. It was perfectly planned, and it was perfectly timed. Jesus shows up, and he stands in front of Lazarus' tomb, and he commands the stone to be removed. And then in John chapter 11, verse 43, Jesus shouts, Lazarus, come out. 
The voice of Jesus changes everything. The voice of Jesus changes everything. What was once dead is now alive. Mary and Martha had been expecting a healing, and that's what they wanted to happen. They had no idea that God had something much bigger and much much better in mind. Mary and Martha prayed for a recovery, but God planned for a resurrection. And God received all the glory for it. There was no other way to explain it. Now, what is in you that needs resurrected today? What is in you that needs resurrected today? No matter what you may be feeling or what you may be going through right now, the voice of Jesus can change everything. Do you have a ministry that you believe God has birthed in you that feels like it's dead? Do you have a God-sized dream in your heart that needs resurrected today? Maybe it's not a ministry. Maybe it's not even a dream. Maybe what you need resurrected in your life today is joy or peace or hope or love or prayer. Maybe it's reading His Word or being discipled or discipling others. Listen, He is able Nothing is impossible for him. Don't limit him by what you can understand. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He doesn't just have the power to resurrect and give life. He is the power. It's one thing for us to believe that Jesus has the power to resurrect us some point in the future at the last day. But it's something entirely different to realize that Jesus' power is absolutely unlimited today, right now. He can bring new life into the areas of your lives that are dead. True faith that relies on His promises is what releases His power. Do you have that kind of faith today? Or does something in you need resurrected today? Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have unlimited power. And we recognize that what is in us, that we may feel like it's dead today. We know that you have the power to bring that to life. And I just pray right now, Jesus, for every need that's represented in this room, that you would do a mighty miracle, that you would raise it from the dead, that you'd bring hope You'd bring new life. And we thank you, Jesus, that we have this kind of hope in you. If we'll just look to you, help us to live our lives like we're alive and not like we're dead so the rest of the world can see the hope that's within us. We thank you, Jesus, for your truth. We pray, Lord God, that you would be with us, you would walk with us, that you would remind us who you are, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we're going to do something different today. I'm going to play a song. And while this song is being played, all I want you to do is sit at your seat. I want you to spend some time worshiping the Lord, praying to Him. Whatever need that you have, I want you to lay it out to Him. Whether that means you want to sit in your seat, whether that means you want to get down on your knees and pray to Him, you want to stand up, you want to come up here, it doesn't matter. It's you and the Lord. Okay? That's all it is. And during this song, if you need someone to pray for you, 
or pray with you. I'm right here. If you're not 100% sure that you'd go to heaven tomorrow if you died, I want you to come see me so that I can, I can talk to you. I can pray with you. I'm going to be right here.
So I'm going to ask it again. Is there something in you that needs resurrected today? I want you to think about that today and this week. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you for who you are. I pray, Jesus, that as we leave today, that you'd go with us, that you'd give us the hope we need, the joy that we need. And I pray, Father, that whatever may be dead in us, that you'd resurrect that. And you'd help those of us that are holding on to that to let go of it and give it to you. Your word reminds us, Father, that we are to cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. And we thank you, Lord, that we have that hope in you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. God bless all of you. I'll be here if you need to talk or want to pray. Uh, Thank you so much.